There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Welcome to Sci-Fi Talk on the Fangirl Zone, a podcast where we discuss shows on the Sci-Fi Channel. I'm Steve. And I'm Sean Fangirl S. And tonight we'll be discussing episode two of season five of The Magicians. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So good. It's so good. (laughs) Oh, just rip my heart out. Oh, I know. There was times where I was like, why are you doing this to us? And then there's times where I'm like, oh, yay. (laughs) So it's like, but still with tears. So it's like really hard. Yeah. But oh my gosh, did we get so much Katie in this one. Yes, we did. And before we jump in, I just want to thank everybody who was tweeting with us, including like the entire cast for last episode, because pretty much all of them were like retweeting and and answering everything that we had put out there. So they had an awesome watch party and I really wish we could go to one. But of course, neither of us live live on either coast. So it makes it very difficult. But yes, extremely. Yeah, come to the Midwest and have one. <laughs> You'll have plenty of snow. It's great. But anyway, let's jump into episode two. Well, first, we have some ratings for episode one. Oh, duh. I'm so used to like them being so far behind. Right. Well, episode one brought in a 0.15 in adults 18 to 49 with 0.429 million viewers, making it the 59th rated cable show for the day. Mm, we've had better, but... That's too bad. No. Although I will tell you, is, is decent. Yeah, I will tell you on a lot of the um, Facebook groups that I'm on for magicians, people are like, wait, I just cut the cord. Damn it. How do I watch? So yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking by next episode that might go up because a lot of people are trying to like find how they can watch it on the app. Right. So I don't know if that'll count, but here's the hope. Yeah. Hoping. All right, let's jump into episode two, The Wrath of the Time Bees. Alice didn't buy enough tacos. Finn's got three bars. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay, and I will tell you, though, after this, do you know how bad I wanted crunchy tacos? (laughs) Yes. I'm like, that sounds so good. And really, it doesn't. But I wanted crunchy tacos so badly. Like, damn you, sound editing people. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's jump into the actual show with our head head witch in charge. All right. We open with Katie and Pete in a hedge bar. And Katie lets him know that she can't find anybody that knows anything about what happened to the book depository. Now, that seems kind of odd. Sounds like somebody who has to have real big magic yeah. to hide that. Yes. And there's some theories brewing in my head. Just Oh, just let them fly. Yeah. Well, I think I tweeted something about who could possibly have that much magic to make a building disappear. And 
somebody replied Marina. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Now, I don't think she's survived. I think, if I remember right, Fog killed her. Did he? I don't remember that. I think so. Now, somebody on one of the Facebook pages had shared a picture, which I shared with Steve. We're going to try to get it up on our Facebook. And it was a newspaper that was from last season, season four, episode one. And the front headline said, billionaire magnet Irene McAllister intends to run for office. Right. Now, I completely forgot about her. Yeah. Other than I really hope the fairies kind of have their way because of the crap that she did to the fairy queen. Right. But now when you kind of put that out there, it's like, well, she was hoarding magic and she probably had a ton of those like magic coins or whatever. Yes. Hmm. Probably did, and she was in league with the library when they turned magic off. Maybe so she did something. Connection to the library, and the book depository is tied to the library. And the library's in great disarray right now. Yes, it is. So, I have a feeling we may see Irene McAllister again this season. Hmm. This should be interesting, and I can't wait to find out if that theory comes true. So thank you to, and I'm sorry, I do not know who posted that one, but it was on the Magicians fan page on Facebook, because that was a great catch. Yes, it was. So Pete tells her his brain's fried, and he needs to either get some sleep or try to fry it more recreationally. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Katie tells him that, nope, club soda's as wild as she's going to get, and after he offers casual sex, tells him goodnight. Yeah. Yeah, that that wasn't awkward. No. Almost as awkward as the hog talking about pelvic manipulation. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And, of course, as Pete's getting ready to stand up to leave, he sees a pretty woman walk past him, so he gets up and follows her to the other end of the bar. Now, that gives the guy who was sitting on the other side of the Pete the opportunity to strike up a conversation with Katie. Yeah, great pickup line. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, the, well, these writers are funny, and uh, I just hope that something like that was never actually used on one of them or by one of them. Right. And we jump to the next morning, where we see them both waking up in the apartment with splitting headaches. That can't be good. No. Either uh, way. <laughs> I thought she was off the booze. What happened? Right. And Eugene gets dressed and awkwardly says goodbye, but he leaves his number on the back of a card. That was about as awkward as you could get. Call me. Yeah. Honestly, at least what I thought was going to happen didn't happen because I thought he was reaching for money. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, what is he doing? Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it, whatever it is. Katie finds Penny at the island bar, and Penny informs her about the signal he's hearing all the time now. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. This is worrisome, because this is going back to, what is it, season one with the beast? Yep. I don't like this. No. Now, Katie thinks she's fallen off the wagon after nearly a year sober, and Penny tells her, well... Why don't you go back looking for that vanishing book depository? And she has no clue what he's talking about. Right. And it's like, uh uh-oh. Yeah. And Penny goes, are you sure you're just hungover? 
Later on, Katie meets up with Eugen, and he wants a second chance as last night was a blur for him. Well, Katie tells him she's sober and doesn't remember drinking and can't remember things from several days ago. So, not just everything that happened recently. Yeah. So, if you have a hangover, normally it's not something that's going to affect days and days worth of stuff. Now, if it's a medicated hangover, we'll say, who knows? If it's a magical hangover, then things really get weird. Yes. And then he starts blurting out all these things that there's no way in God's green earth he would have told her just straight out. And yeah, Katie uh, truth drugged him. And so she gets up. I truthied you. What? Yeah. (laughs) So Katie gets up to leave and he tells her that he didn't remember what his apartment number was when he got home that morning and wants to know why. Okay, now it's getting weird. Yeah. Both of them? Eh, something's still awful damn fishy here. Now, later, we see that Penny has built a homemade psychic amplifier so Katie and Eugene can find out what happened the previous night. We go in and Penny binds their hands together and they agree to start at the bar. Now, of course, they see the original conversation that started this and then we see some passionate kissing back in the apartment and... Of course, he says, well, do you want me to look away? Uh, No, this is what you remember. (laughs) And Eugene's getting bored watching them sleep, but Katie wants to stay with it. And then we see Eugene get up and put his pants on. And as he turns toward Katie, his eyes get all electrified. What the hell is that all about? Yeah. Katie wakes up just as Eugene is about to whammy her with a spell and... She's able to get a shot off as well, and it both knocks them out. And of course, Katie wants to know what the hell is going on, and Eugene still can't remember, but he does remember he was meeting a hedge he knew from his first safe house. So, of course, Katie wants to see that, and sure enough, the one who was with Eugene was also the one that Pete went chasing after. Oh, Double not well, good. Yeah, perfect. And we see her give him a card, and when he turns it over, we see his eyes get electrified again. So, of course, Eugene goes up to try to see what's on the card, but the image disappears before he can see it. But Katie has the real card and shows him to find out who he really is. That's not good. No, as Eugene breaks a bottle and tries to cut Katie with it, and the fight is on. No. This is where things got really weird for me. Okay. If they're in a memory, how is this shit happening? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that that doesn't seem to make sense because then they have like a knockdown drag out fight. I mean, there's pool cues involved and I don't get it. Tables and everything. Yeah, that's. It's just so weird to me. I can understand that because. It was a little weird to me, too, but I just kind of went with it that, yeah, seeing that you're viewing a memory, but you're actually in it as well, because Eugene made the comment that it was VR memory, and Penny said, oh, no, it's not. So apparently that's why they actually were able to fight in there without anything going haywire in the apartment, because, yeah, with that fight, they'd have torn down that psychic amplifier in a New York minute. Okay. 
So, of course, Katie finally gets the upper hand and wants to know who sent him. And Eugene tells her he doesn't know as he gets a job and makes sure he doesn't remember. Well, great. So, you're still basically screwing with people, but you want to, you know, make sure your conscience is clear. Right. You just forget about it. So, you it never happened to you. So, you're still, wow. Talk about a James Bond spy type. Right. Katie threatens to have Penny explore his memories until he finds out who it is. And in true spy fashion, Eugene kills himself with the word Mort. And again, wait a second. (laughs) If you were in like a memory thing, what? Is this like some weird magical suicide pill? Yeah. So if you do it in your memory or your dream, you're going to just do it? Because that would suck. What if you talk in your sleep? Right. (laughs) And you wake up dead. But you know what I mean? It's like, what is happening? I was just kind of like, okay, I was a little confused, and then I got a lot confused, and then I was just, what? So, yeah, that's what happened in this moment for me. I don't know about the rest of you guys. Yeah. And Penny comes in asking what happened, and Katie tells him that he just self-destructed. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Of course, later, Pete joins Penny and Katie, and also lost his memory, and Penny tells him that they should be concerned about this. First, the depository disappears, and now somebody's trying to erase your memory. This is not good. No, and I feel like Pete should be a little more upset than he was. Right. Well, he wanted a drink, and of course, he knows there ain't going to be any with near Katie, so he gets up and leaves. And then we have a serious little conversation between the two of them. And Katie tells him that if that her hangover was because of heroin and that really didn't seem to bother her. She wasn't disappointed or mad at herself. She was actually relieved and leading the hedges is only going to get harder and she's not sure if she can do it without a crutch, which means maybe she shouldn't do it at all. And Penny reaches for her and too soon, Penny, and she gets up and walks off. I felt like that was really raw for Katie. and Oh, absolutely it was. Really sad, because it's like, if you're not leading the hedges, who is? Right. Just because magic has come back, I don't see Fog saying, all right, guys, all you hedges, come on here, because we need to figure stuff out. We need to band together. Right. So you need to stay there, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hella hard road, but you can't abandon all of them. Nope. But that's what Katie's going through is dealing with her addiction. And is she going to be strong enough to keep that at bay and lead the hedges? So I hope she has the strength and she actually leans on her friends because for so long she's not done that. Right. Absolutely. And this is one of the first times she's actually opened up to anybody and really expressed what she was feeling about her addiction and trying to be in charge and so we need we'll to just get have the to hang on yeah we need to get everybody back together so she has a much better support system yes i agree so we head off to check on fog and julia and of course fog wants to know if piggy gave her any information about the impending apocalypse and do you realize that Pigman was Sean McGuire? I did not realize that. (laughs) 
Yeah, there was some people on Twitter that were just just there because they were Sean McGuire fans and wanting to see what the reactions were going to be. <laughs> so I liked it. That's a heck of a lot of makeup. Oh, yeah. And they did a little thing after. Right. I don't know Which if everybody's seen it. Hashtag. And that was just amazing. Yeah, making magic. Yeah, I hope they continue that for the season because that, that definitely was a, a nice little piece to throw in there at the end. Yes. Now, Julia hands him some papers telling him that magicians are blowing themselves up all over the place and that she wants to try to find a pattern as to why some surges do nothing and others are catastrophic. Of course. I'm sure this will be easy. Fog will just tell you, of course. Oh, no. He's got to get his dig in about her not attending break bills, but does tell her that it's due to circumstances. And, of course, Julia snipes back that Hedges do know about circumstances and asks if they're a way to protect them so they can warn people in advance. And he tells her he knows someone that might be able to help. Professor X. Like the The (laughs) X-Men? No, his ex-lover that hates it when he calls her that. (laughs) And so, of course, he does it all the time. As they walk up to the building, Julia stops him as a surge is starting, and then the second floor classroom explodes. Oh, I'm sure this is just perfect timing. Yeah. And Fogg tells her that that was her classroom. Oh, great. Of course it was. Yeah. Now, I feel like there's something more going on. We have the building disappearing, and nobody knowing about it, and that takes a lot of magic. And then all this stuff is happening. It's like, huh. Is somebody or something trying to keep Julia from knowing the truth? Yeah, you better believe it. (laughs) I have a feeling there could be bugs all over the place. Hmm. And this could also be something Irene was behind. Would not surprise me in the least. Right. So we move on to Alice. And we open with her still in the basement where she was continuing her spell. And there's a picture of Quentin burning, and we see what book Alice actually stole from the library. It's Quentin's story. Oh, damn. This can't be good. No. (laughs) And she puts something on the living clay body. I'm not sure. First, I thought it might have been the ashes of the paper, but later on. That's what I thought it was, too. Right. But later on, I think we've get told what that was, and begins the spell. She covers the clay body in a sheet and continues the spell, which we see the words coming off of the book of Quentin's story. Don't erase too much, Alice. The candles go out, and Alice lights a long match or twig or something and approaches the body. It kicks its leg and scares Alice half to death, and she calls out Quentin and gets a little closer. Body sits up, pulls the sheet down, and asks, where am I? Well, guess Uh, what? (laughs) He's not quite the Quentin Alice was hoping for, but a 12-year-old Quentin. Yeah, I'm like, Alice, did you mess up a spell? Right, exactly. So young Q thinks he's in a dream as Alice frantically looks through her papers. Of course, he asks if she's all right. Oh, yeah, she, she does not look all right. No, <laughs> just you remind me of somebody I knew. And she grabs that paper 
and gives it to young Q, hoping he can read it, but of course he can't. And the only thing on young Q's mind right now is Taco Bell. Right. <laughs> Which she did not go to Taco Bell, by the way. Yeah. Later, when she does return, she's got whatever she bought. She bought <laughs> one of everything they had. <laughs> and it was a lot of crunchy tacos that yes, just made me was. hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and Julia knocks on the door and tells Alice she needs help with a metamath problem. And Alice informs her it's not a good time as she's trying to stand between young Q and Julia as Q munches on a taco. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, wait, who who is that? Yeah. Alice tries to tell her it's her nephew from Canada, but Julia get, finally gets a clear shot and knows exactly who it is and walks in saying, what the hell did you do? And I'm like, ooh, Alice, this is this fight is on right now. Oh, yeah. And, of course, young Q's still munching down on tacos, and he asks Julia why she is staring at him, and she replies that he looks like someone she knows, and he tells her she looks like his friend Julia. Not exactly. No, his grandma? Friend Julia's grandma. It's like, oh, I thought Julia was going to slap him. Yeah. <laughs> I look like her grandma? Yeah, I was like, oh, oh, little baby Q, no. <laughs> Julia tells young Q that she needs to talk to Alice and that he should go play with rocks. <laughs> I feel like that probably wasn't his thing back then, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. Only Julia would know that, but he grabs the bag of food and walks off. So they go down to the basement and Julia finds out about the living clay, Quentin's storybook, and that Alice took a bit of his essence from the underworld, which is what, what? I think she sprinkled on the, the living clay body, not the ashes. Well, I guess you could call it the ashes. But <laughs> Just how not did the picture she asses. even get that? Right. Exactly. We didn't get that explained. Now, I don't know if she did it right after he died. Before magic came completely back or or what? She didn't tell us. Now, of course, Julia is pissed as hell that Alice wouldn't do a seance, but would do what she did. And Alice shows Julia the page she found in Quentin's stuff and thought Quentin could explain it to her. Of course, Julia wants Alice to put his essence back, but Alice informs her that the golem lives until the task Alice needed is complete. <laughs> so are we going to be looking at a 45-year-old golem? <laughs> right? And I was actually wondering, is it specifically for what Alice did, like that spell? Because why did the Margolem hang around so long? Right. Of course, Julia accuses Alice of being the most selfish person in the world. And Alice explains what she's going through. And Julia decides they will figure out how to make things right. And of course, she... Kind of does an exam of Q looking through the magic glass as he's looking through the book that Julia had given Alice. And she sees him turn back to the beginning of the book and tells him she had a friend once who started back at the beginning when he finished a book. That was kind of sweet. Oh, yeah. Because when she talks to him about it, it's like, oh, yeah, well, this is why I do it. And... My therapist says it's this, and she's like, oh, well, my friend used to do that because he didn't like endings. And I felt like they were bonding, but at the same time, I'm like, Julia, 
what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you do not want to bond with this 12, 12-year-old golem. Right. Julia reassures him that his friends will never abandon him and that his friend Julia needs him as much as he needs her. Now, Julia later on tells Alice that she looked for any errors in the casting, but it's Quentin she knew at that age. So Alice didn't make any boo-boos, but it's due to her circumstances and tells her that she should ask him a different question. So we see Alice sitting on the steps to the patio and young Q asks her if he's still dreaming. He knows it's been almost a full day and if you sleep that long, you're dead. And I like that they're both kind of figuring out what to do. Right. And I felt like it was very, was it iRobot? It's like, my answers are limited. Right. You must rephrase your question. question. And it's like, oh, okay. He can't answer the weird language thing. Right. But maybe she can figure out what he can help. Right. So she tells him that she lost the man she loved very much and doesn't know how she will go on without him. And he gave her a gift she can never repay. Of course, young Q wants to know what the gift was. And she tells him his life. He gave it up for hers. And she tells him that she brought him here for closure and that she just wanted to fix something or finish something for Q. And he tells her that she's skipping to the beginning of the book and that he can't help her because she doesn't want him to because your friend's story is over. Oh, yeah. He tells her that the gift she got wasn't his life but hers. And that story just started. How can this 12-year-old just... Maybe Quentin is talking through him. Uh, Yeah. Wow. And she tells him that it shouldn't be a surprise that even at age 12, Quentin Coldwater is still the smartest person she knows. He tells her he's really feeling tired and asks if she wants to see a trick, pulls out a coin out of his pocket and closes his hand. Alice holds hers out, then turns it over, and the coin is in her hand and not in his. He lays his head on her shoulder, and Alice tells him there's just one more thing she wanted to say, and she says goodbye, Quentin. And they turn the knife. Yeah, because when he laid his head on his shoulders, his eyes closed. You knew he was gone. I'm like, no, don't do it. And so... Even saying goodbye, you really didn't get to say goodbye, but maybe that'll be enough for her. So Alice goes in and tells Julia that he's gone, and Julia is sorry that she didn't get what she needed. And Alice puts the page in the box where she found it, tells her that maybe she can help her with Julia's problem. So she comes back with a book from one of her dad's friends who could predict circumstances. She tells Julia that if anyone could help her with her problem, This lady could, and Julia thanks her. I was just glad that it wasn't the same person that Fogg was trying to send her to. Right. (laughs) That would have been awkward. Just a little. So let's head to Fillory and see how Margot and Elliot are doing. And we see Elliot in the woods looking for the portal tree when he runs into a vision of Finn being hanged. That's got to be horrible. I feel like it got way worse oh, yeah. than just the vision. Oh, yeah, because, of course, Elliot rushes to help her, but stops short, realizing that it can't be real. But Finn starts talking to him. 
<laughs> oh my God. So Elliot apologizes to Finn for not being there for her, and she tells him that she was counting on Margot or Penny or Julia. On and on and on and on. You go, oh, damn. Right, because, oh, I know you. If you were saved, you'd be out drinking and mourning and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. Ben <laughs> then mentions that she's dead, but if he knows the spell to turn her back time, he needs to save her before the buzzards come and picks out her eyes, which, of course, freaks Elliot out, and he runs away. Yeah, and then you still hear, oh, oh they're here. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Please stop that. <laughs> yeah, and great FX work having Finn get gray and starting to fall apart like that. That, that was, was so weird, but it yes, was so awesome. Yes, awesome stuff. So we go check in with Margot, and she's trying to magic her way out of the prison cell by first trying to make a key, which, of course, gets into the lock and then disappears, and then by brute force, which also fails, but the blast causes a stone in the wall to loosen, and she removes the stone to find a letter from Josh who gives his side of the story of what went wrong. Now, it's interesting that we're giving this, but I have a question. Okay. Margo has a fairy eye. Why isn't she seeing, like, the magic and stuff right. in the room? Yeah, she should have. Like, did something happen when everything reset? Or did the fairy queen give Margot her eye back? Huh. I think she did. Just before she went to our Earth and had did it in she? with Irene. Yes, I believe she did. I believe she gave her her real eye back. Huh. I don't remember that now. I will. If anybody wants to let us know. Oh, yep. Because I just don't know. So they knew she had to be all right when magic came back, but they never heard from her. The messenger bunnies wouldn't leave their burrows because they knew there was something wrong and, well, everything went to hell. And of course it was Josh who made the dungeon magic proof and he tells her he did it all for her. And of course. You see her with tears running down her face as she finishes the letter, which is also heartbreaking. It's so hard seeing Margot like get emotional because we're so used to her not being that way. Right. And even Elliot makes a comment later on about we need Margot the destroyer, not Margot the soft. Right. I'm still trying to figure out how Fen the Tolis came in, yes. but we'll we got Maybe we'll that know. story. <laughs> so later we see a determined Elliot paying Jane Chatwin a visit. Didn't think we would see that. I was surprised we got Jane. Yes. And did he know where he was going or just kind of stumbled upon her? I think he knew where he was going. See, I wasn't sure the way they both kind of reacted. Right. So Elliot asks her if she will travel back in time to fix things, but She's afraid it would mess up the work done to stop the beast. And she I asks, can understand that. Right. And she asks about Quentin and Elliot informs her that he's dead. And Jane recalls the first time Quentin visited Fillory and that he was also filled with grief because a friend had died. And yeah. Elliot, and then she drops the bomb. <laughs> right. Elliot thinks it was Julia, but no, 
It was you. Oh, crap. You don't need to do that. <laughs> You're going to put like, strange thoughts in his head. And I'm just like, what? What? Yep. Yeah. He went back to Fillory to save Elliot in season one, maybe two. Wait, they mentioned it? I don't remember their mentioning because it was the very first time that he yeah. would have died. And we, because we didn't see all of the times he died. So this was in timeline one. Right. But I think but we I don't remember saw mentioning. that in, I think we did. Oh my gosh. I could I wrong. so should have did a rewatch. <laughs> yeah. Probably I should have too. But Jane saved Elliot, hoping that it would persuade Quentin to heed the call. But he died 39 times and she had hoped this time would be different. Well, of course, Elliot wants to make it 40, but Jane tells him to let the dead stay dead. Ouch. Jane gets up to get tea, and Elliot gathers all the time devices on a shelf and hauls ass. I'm like, how did he get everything off that big, tall bookcase shelf and into a little crate? Yeah, I love it. And then she's just like, oh, damn. It's like, oh, you might as well just be like, oh, bother. (laughs) What? What did you just do? And later on, a hooded figure with the cart comes up to Margot's cell. And after Margot's bitch lets her know that it's Elliot. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the room service is quite lacking. I love that. (laughs) And after spraying both of them with timey-wimey perfume, Margot asks what Elliot has. Okay, can I just say, I loved it. She actually said timey-wimey. Yes! <laughs> Thank you to the yes. Doctor Who fan in the writer's room. Yes. And he tells her it's a bee smoker, which jogs the memory of Josh always talking about the bees at Whitespire, and that those bees talk. Aha! So Margot wants Elliot to give the bees a message to Josh and then smoke them out. So, of course, Elliot pays the bees a Visit and returns, letting Margot that the time bees have been activated. Yay! This will be great, right? Yeah. <laughs> Elliot isn't sure anything has changed, so Margot goes to the wall, removes the block, and instead of a letter, she pulls out a cell phone. Oh, really? So she uses her power to power the cell phone up, and it's Finn's phone. How did it get in there? So she goes to Finn's Instagram and sees a recording of Finn and Josh who wonder how she has three bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. He's like, there's not Instagram in Fillory. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, Why do I have three bars? It's like, oh, Finn. And of course, the time bees arrive, which freak Josh out as he's allergic. Oops. Yeah. I think we should have paid a little bit more attention. Yes. Elliot returns with the history of Fillory from the Royal Library, which proves the bees failed. Poor Josh. Killed by talking bees. They get into an argument, but Margot isn't giving up and grabs another book off the card as Elliot walks off. And three stamps fall out of the book. And Margot recognizes what they are and calls Elliot back. Stamps allow you to write someone anywhere, anytime, and is going to tell Josh what to do. Another one of those Jane Chatwin specials. And I'm just thinking that it's going to be more like 
you can't change what happened in the past yes. because you'll never have gotten to where you are in the future. future. And I'm, right. You know, and yep. I'm like, this is some weird like conundrum that's going to happen. Right. So Josh gets the letter from Margo and does what she tells them to do. And it appears to work until the takers return and kill everyone in Whitespire. Who the hell are the takers? Yes, we need to know. So Margot tells Elliot that they need a new plan, and as they only have two stamps left, and Elliot informs her that there's only one. He had an idea, but it also failed. Or did it? Margot asks what they should do, and Elliot tells her that they have tried to save their friends, but they die anyway, and Fillory's broken. He tells Margot she's gotten soft, and she knows what she needs to do. And Margot sits down and writes something on a paper, and Elliot asks, did you tell him? And she tells him she said goodbye to Josh. So Elliot takes the letter and leaves. Fortunately, it's real close by, that mailbox. Right. <laughs> I'm just thinking, Elliot, you're just like, oh, they're dead. Okay. Nobody gave up on you, jackass. As That's what I was saying the entire time he was acting like that. Right. Absolutely. I totally take it back at the end, but not at this moment. Right. We see all the different stages of grief. Got Elliot in denial and Alice just. Oh my God. She was really broken. She was how we all felt after the finale. Right. And then you see Margot finally breaking and Katie's got her problems and seems like the only sane one right now is Penny, but now he's got. A signal in his head, so <laughs> this is not going well. So Margot goes to the stone in the wall when she hears Josh say, You never get used to the smell of Florian plumbing, do you? And she like, turns. What? <laughs> and she goes, You're alive. And he says, Yeah, thanks to you. Tells her he did exactly what she told him. She took the clock dwarf a ham sandwich. And he sent him 300 years into the future. Well, you sly dog, Margo, you finally figured it out. You can't change the past, but you can bring him to the future. And the dwarf got his ham sandwich, finally. Yes. He doesn't have to have mushrooms for lunch for one day. (laughs) And she asks if only he came and Josh tells her, oh, hell no. Finn, Tick, Rafe, the guys from the bowling league. Oh, I've got a, did I tell you I started a bowling league? And a dozen other people also came. Because nobody cool wanted to stay in the past once they knew what was coming. Of course not. It just makes me wonder, though. So nobody's there to try to stop anything, though? Right, no. They this... bailed, so the takers are going to take anyway. Whether they were there or not. I don't know if this is good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they don't have to worry about the takers. The Dark King got rid of the takers, so all they got to do is deal with the Dark King. Who the hell's the Dark King? Yeah, and she can't believe it, and he tells her, look behind the stone. She pulls the stone out and sees the key, which Josh hid there before he left. Of course, they exit stage left, and Josh presents the group to High King Margot the Exiled, and she tells them, let's get out of here before we get killed. Good idea. So here's my question too. All these people came to the future. They could have theoretically saved everyone, but then what would have happened to Fillory? Right. So 
What happened to everybody's families, though? Did they just, like, up and leave them? Yeah, apparently. Now, you know, I think, what, Finn's dad had already died. I'm not sure. Didn't she have brothers, too? I think. I thought so. Yeah. Now, Tick, I'm not sure about if he had a family or not. And Rafe had the, was uh, the pet keeper. Oh, so he's. He's cool, I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. It just seems like, okay, we're all out. Bye, guys. Good luck. Yeah. So we see Elliot standing around at the mailbox as they head on down the road. And we see the letter with the last stamp addressed to Quentin before he went to the scene. Oh, this could be really bad. Well, this is interesting because it's like, if he sends it, does everything change? Do they still have magic? Would this still happen? And if he doesn't, then how does he deal with everything? Right. Does he get the monster back? Yeah. It's like, oh, so many questions. (laughs) Yeah. And we see him open the mailbox, but he doesn't put the letter in yet. Just don't do it. (laughs) Yes, I... That would be a great way to get Quentin back, but I think it would just... you got more problems than you know how to deal with right now. Right. Margot wants her kingdom back. You need to be helping her figure that one out. And I think we've talked about this because you had read an article or something that they said that Jason Ralph Q is no longer a series regular. Right. Didn't say he was killed off the show. No. Which I feel is a big deal. Yes. So what does that mean? And it kind of worries me. Oh, my God. What if he comes back as like the Dark King? (laughs) That would be awesome. I'm like, wow. Yeah. No, no, not Q. But yeah, that would (laughs) that would be a killer. So many questions. So many questions. Do you guys have questions? Because obviously I do. So. Let us know, sci-fi talk at fangirlzone.com, or you can go over to the website, www.fangirlzone.com, go to the contacts page, and you can get a hold of us at all the ways there. Tweet along with us when the show's on, and we will gladly talk to you about all of it. I want to know the crazy theories. Like I said, my theory right now is big what if, if Q's the Dark King, who knows when we're going to find out. Right. That's scary if he is. My theory but, is Irene McAllister is behind everything. Trying, oh my God, what if she's hey, the Dark King? Yeah, trying to take charge of everything. Taking over the hmm. world and Fillory. Right? And the so library. many questions. And while you're on the interwebs, if you can rate and review us on iTunes and every other platform you find us on, because good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, tell your friends. We, of course, are enjoying the podcast. We We hope you're enjoying it. And tell your friends, they can binge watch the first four seasons on Netflix. Yep. And then they can watch this with you and discuss around the water cooler. So this craziness is ending for this moment. For this episode of Sci-Fi Talk, I am Sean Fangirlass. And I'm Steve. Time is a motherfucker, isn't it? And until next time.